0: Welcome to Mill Creek Church in Belleville, Texas, where our worship service is in progress. Today, Pastor Monty Bird continues with his sermon series on the Book of Romans. And now, Pastor Bird, Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you that as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ that we have a joy it goes with us every day. I thank you, Lord, that we have the confidence that we know that you hold us and sustain us in your hand. I pray, Lord, as we continue to go through Romans 11, that you might speak to us through your wonderful truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, turn with me to the 11th chapter of Romans as we continue our study. We were in verse 25 through 27 last week. We're going to continue in those verses this week. And if you remember last week, I preached on the danger of spiritual pride. And you saw that in the 25th verse where Paul wrote, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And if you remember, as I preached through that verse, I brought up the fact that not only should we guard against spiritual pride, looking out and saying to ourselves, "So well, if I had lived during the time of the Jews that I would have recognized the prophecy or I would have done the right thing because we lose sight of the fact that salvation is just a gift. Our faith is a gift. We wouldn't have done anything unless the Lord had peeled back the veil from our eyes. So Paul's giving a warning to the Gentile readers at the Church of Rome guard against spiritual pride. I also preached on the theme that the Gentiles have a time. We're living in it. We're living in the age of the Gentiles. We're living in the church age. You see it in verse 25, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. But you also see it in verse 11. Certainly not but through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. And if you think about it in chapter 11, it says that salvation first was to the Jews, then it was to the Gentiles, and then lastly, it's going to be back to the Jews. John Stott in his commentary on this very chapter calls this the chain of blessing. Jews first, then Gentiles, then back to the Jews. Jews. You see it also in the allegory that Paul uses regarding the olive tree. They were in, they were out, they're going to be back in. Is God fickle? Does he alternate between people at a whim? Hardly so. And in fact... We will see later on in my message this morning that God has a plan. He has an eternal plan. And if you look at verse 26, which will be our focal passage this morning, you'll see that plan. And in fact, I want to read 25 and 26 together. As Paul writes, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery lest you should be wise in your own opinion. That blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away... Their sins. One of the great things that encourages my faith is you look at the prophetic word and you see that it was prophesied that the Gentiles would turn to Christ, and you look around and we're living in it. We've been living in it. We've been living in this age where century after century, Gentiles slash pagans have come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. However, Paul tells us that this isn't permanent. You see that when he uses the word fullness, and I mentioned that last week in the sermon, that we reach this point of completeness, both in time and in quantity. Time and quantity. And then it's going to change back. And you look at verse 26 and it says, So all Israel will be saved. The deliverer will come out of Zion. He will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Now I was reading this and I was thinking, what's the best way to present this? and i don't know why but for some reason high school english class popped into my mind and if you remember sitting through english class and if you had a teacher that taught you the 5 w's might not remember what the 5 w's were about but the 5 w's are this who is it about what happened When did it take place? Where did it take place? And why did it happen? And your teacher taught you the five W's so you could give a report, right? And in fact, the five W's is used in journalism. It's used in research. So I'm not going to use the five W's in the past tense because that wouldn't be appropriate for our passage this morning. I'm going to use it in the future tense. Because the verse that is our focal passage this morning is telling us about something that is going to happen in the future. So who is this story about? And of course, the argument is that it's about the Israelites. Now you may say to yourself, well, well of course it's about the Israelites. Who else could it be about? But I will tell you that some people, when they read these verses, say that it's about the church. And in fact, in the New Testament and in other letters written by Paul, he calls the church, the Israel of God. But it's not about the church. Calvin believed that it was about the church. And in defense of Calvin, You may be sitting there going, well, how could Calvin believe that it was the church? Well, let's think about this. When Calvin said, well, this has to be the church that Paul's writing about. Israel didn't exist as a nation. As you were studying your Bible back in that day, there was no longer an Israel. Israel was dispersed. But you and I have the privilege of living post-1948 when Israel was formed again as a nation. And it's really easy for us to look and go, well, this has got to be about the Jewish people. And it says that all Israel will be saved. All Israel will be saved. Now, does this mean every Jew in the world Because it says, all Israel will be saved. And I will answer, of course not. And I want to have a little side note on that. Because it's a little bit of a pet peeve of mine. Being a believer in Reformed theology. Our Arminian friends like to quote John 3.16, For God so loved the world... For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And they'll use that as the offer of salvation in the acceptance of people across the world. They they believe in unlimited atonement. Reformed theologians believe in limited atonement. And when you think about that, for God so loved the world, if you believe that as a universal offer of salvation, Christ has failed. Because clearly we know people that reject. So, in my mind, Arminianism is built upon the failure of a Messiah. My Messiah didn't fail. When we started service, we sang victory in Jesus. I believe in a completely victorious Christ. And a completely victorious Christ means that just as Christ prayed before he faced the cross, I will lose none that you have given me. In other words, every person that will appear at his throne his name has been written in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the world. Jesus Christ is completely victorious. So what does that mean on John 3.16, for God so loved the world? Well, let's put this in context because you have to read scripture in context. What nationality was John? He a Jew, wasn't he? John was a Jew, As John is writing this in context, pre-Pentecost, salvation wasn't offered to the Gentiles. It was to the Jews. It was limited to the Jews. So when John writes for God so loved the world, he is saying God loved Jews and Gentiles, the world every tribe, tongue, and nation. There was a change. It was to the age of the Gentiles. And the reason why I bring that up is, is in the same context, when we say all Israel, it doesn't mean every Jew that ever lived. So what does it mean? The what and the when is going to tell us. And you can find that in Revelation chapter seven. Now remember, I said the five W's are in present tense. So now we're going, we're going to the future. Revelation seven. And I want you to look at verse four. And this is what John writes. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, one hundred and forty-four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Now, it goes on and it lists them all. I'll just tell you 12 times 12 equals 144,000. And it says that they were sealed. It doesn't say 144,000 and then if Bob decides to make a decision. It doesn't say that. It's a specific number. See, people that don't believe in Reformed theology have a problem with that. But here you see 144,000. It wasn't 144,233. It's 144,000, and they have been sealed. They've been sealed. And so, first of all, 144,000 are reserved as witnesses for God during the tribulation. These people are Jews who come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ during the tribulation. They're going to witness for God. So the where is during the tribulation. And we're talking about 144,000 witnesses. But what happens? It's not just them. Look at verse 9. After all these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number, all nations, tribes, peoples, tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne into the the Lamb. Reserved people that he's numbered, that John saw through the revelation of Jesus Christ. God has a plan. God has a plan. And right now, we are living. We are living in that plan. The church, think about this. The church is a testimony to the plan of God. It was foretold that Gentiles would come to a saving faith. This summer, Kathy and I went to Charleston, South Carolina. And Charleston, South Carolina is referred to, kind of as a tag name, as the Holy City. And you think, well, why is that called the Holy City? What happened in Charleston? Well, the reason why it's called the Holy City is is there's literally, as you walk down through downtown Charleston, there is a church on every corner. Unbelievably so. Churches are everywhere. And being a history buff, I love walking through there and you see how old these churches are and have been established in their city. And in itself is a living testimony to the plan of God. Us meeting here today as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are a living testimony that God has a plan. We are living in the church age and all across this country, all across the world, on this Sunday, everybody that's coming together and are giving praise to the Lord Jesus Christ it's giving a living testimony that God has a plan. And if we believe that God has a plan and we believe in the church age that's clearly been exhibited, century after century, we have to look at Revelation 7. And we have to believe in the fulfillment of the plan of God. So as we look and we see that Paul says, all Israel will be saved, and we look at Revelation 7 in the future, and we see where there's 144,000, 12,000 from each 12 tribes, coming together and coming to a saving faith, during the tribulation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, it's across the world. It's a worldwide event. And you see that as Revelation 7 opens up, as it refers to four angels across the world, and God tells them that there's 144,000 that are sealed. 144,000 that will be saved. That's a miraculous event. It'd be a miraculous event right now. But no more miraculous than God in His first advent upending the world and drawing Gentiles to Himself for 2,000 years. It's the power of God which leads us to the miraculous event of when this happens, look at Zechariah 12, verse 10, as we look at the Old Testament and how the Old Testament prophesied about this event. Zechariah wrote, and I will pour on the house of David and on those inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication then they will look on Me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for Him as one mourns for His only Son and grieve for Him as one grieves for a firstborn. Clearly didn't happen in the first Advent, did it? They chose Christ over a criminal to be crucified. But here in the Old Testament, pre-Christ, Pre crucifixion, says they will look on me whom they pierced. Think about the incredibleness of that statement. Here, the prophet of Zechariah, pre Christ, is saying that the Messiah would be pierced, that he would be executed. It's absolutely remarkable. And it's also remarkable that these 144,000 will then cause others to come to a saving knowledge. Look back at Revelation seven, verse nine. After these things, I looked and behold a great multitude, which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed with white robes with palm branches in their hands, And crying out with a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. No one wants to be in the tribulation, right? I mean, if your view of prophecy involves the rapture before tribulation, we're all for that, right? We want to be raptured. We don't want to be in the tribulation. And everybody, when you normally mention the tribulation, everybody says, Oh, man, I, I will not want to be there. But there's a good aspect of the tribulation as well. And you see it. You see it here in these verses. That there is a time of revival as people come to a saving knowledge. People all across the globe will come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ through the efforts of these 144,000. In other words the all Israel will go from a time of rejection, which is where we're at right now, a time of rejection to not only a time of acceptance, but also to a time of witnessing and being used by God. That's the Gentiles right now in the church age. When you think about it, you're not going to, come to salvation today sitting in a synagogue because we're living in the church age. They're not preaching Christ in a synagogue. But during the tribulation, the Jews will be preaching Christ. It's just as dramatic as you and I accepting the Lord Jesus Christ that we've been grafted in as Paul already talked about in Romans 11. It's this worldwide conversion. So you can look at this and you can say, well, the, the story's about the Jews. The story is about the tribulation when all, 144,000, and then those Jews that come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. In other words, there's an elect. So that's the story. It's in the future, it's the Jews. And it was regarding the tribulation and regarding God's plan. Why? Why? And the why is also found in our focal verse. Look at verse 26. So all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. And I want to answer the why this way, and it's a word that you'll see there in our focal passage. Covenant. Covenant. Paul mentioned that word earlier in Romans 9 as he described the Jewish people in verse 1 of Romans 9. He goes, I tell you the truth in Christ. I am not lying, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit, that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, there's the word, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises of whom are the fathers and from whom according to the flesh. Christ came, who is over all, the eternally blessed God. Amen. Those two words, covenant and promises. Covenant and promises. Why is God doing this? Why is he saving the remnant? It's because he promised us. Abraham that he would. Now let me ask you something. As we go back and there's a number of covenants in the Old Testament. Was Abraham looking for God? No. He was a pagan. He was just like you and me. He wasn't looking for God. And God chose Abraham. Abraham just as He chose you and me, just as He chose the 144,000 that will be saved. God is a God of choosing. Did He choose out of righteousness? Did He choose out of merit? Did He choose out of intellect? No, He chose out of grace. Just as Abraham was chosen out of grace, just as you and I are chosen out of grace, just as the Jews in the tribulation will be chosen out of grace. God is about grace. He's about grace. And that grace doesn't come from our efforts, regardless of whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. That grace comes from His mercy. And what he's saying here is that he had made a promise and he will fulfill that promise just as he has made a promise to us in the new covenant. And it's all on grace. Ezekiel talked about this in the 36th chapter of Ezekiel, verse 26. He said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take out the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my heart within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. He takes out the heart of stone and he transforms the people of Israel just as he has transformed you and me. The prophet of Jeremiah also says the same thing. Jeremiah 31 Starting in the 31st verse, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in that day, that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. He will save all. Of Israel in relation to his plan. Just as he is saving Gentiles according to his plan. God's word is true. Every bit of it. And as you and I can look around and as we can see that his word has been true in the fact that he would save Gentiles during the church age, he's going to save. Israel, during the tribulation age. And here's the important part for Jew and Gentile. And then he will reign on his throne for eternity. And as we look around in a world that does not make sense, that loves sin and loves darkness, our great comfort is, is reading the word of God in seeing how his plan unfolds, in holding on to that for our comfort and our confidence in the future. Join me in prayer, please. Father, we just thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, how we can look and see the prophecy of the age of the Gentiles in the church in the Old Testament, and we can look at that and see in our own life, as we live our life, we can see that being played out. I just pray, Lord, that we'd all be ready knowing that you're coming, that we'd be prepared, that we would be a worker in your kingdom knowing that the time is coming for your return. I pray, Lord, that if there's someone listening who does not know you, that today they would accept Jesus Christ is their Savior, Lord, and King. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as Pastor Bird continues this sermon series. If you wish to hear more, you may find him at millcreekchurch.org or go to sermonaudio.com slash Church. Prayer requests may also be left at millcreekchurch.org. Our church services are as follows. Sunday morning Bible study is at 9 a.m., followed by our worship service at 10 a.m. We have Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study, and they are at 6.30 p.m. For more information and our mission statement, please visit our website, millcreekchurch.org.